He's here. Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Banks, host of Leadership Luminaries, a People Smart production. People Smart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. My guest today is Nicholas Hamilton Archer. I first met Nick when he was an, an inspiring guest on a panel I moderated at the Merit Annual Conference in Seville in early 2019. And then we met again at the Merit Conference in Madrid this year. I'm delighted he's agreed to join me today to discuss the kinds of culture shifts that are needed in businesses in light of the great resignation. And first, before we get into the questioning and the conversation, I'm gonna just take you through quickly a, a little bit about N Nicholas. Um, he serves as the executive director of uh, executive education within the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University. Nicholas is tasked with driving innovation and growth within the unit's non-degree open enrollment and custom programs and delivering programming for partner schools and faculty within the university. Prior to joining Carnegie Mellon, Nicholas served as the executive director for executive programs at the University of Colorado. Um, Nick has lived and worked in the United Arab Emirates, Emirates, <laughs> Emirates, and has extensive experience within the Middle East and Gulf Cooperation Council, GCC, Asia Pacific, and South Africa, where he managed strategic initiatives and partnerships. He's worked collaboratively with multiple government agencies, nonprofits, and private businesses. Nick graduated from George Mason University in 2008 with a BA in government and international politics, and an MPA in public administration, respectively. He also holds an MS in international business from the University of Colorado in Denver. Nick enjoys working with early stage companies, and his hobbies include basketball and travel. And before we get into it, I'm dying to ask you, what is your favorite basketball team? I'm a New York Knicks fan. Uh, Unfortunately, we haven't won in a very, very long time, but I am a true fan to the end. That's great. Yeah, I remember, who was your star player about 30 years ago? He was pretty good. Uh, Patrick Ewing. That's uh, really growing up as a kid. That's right. Yeah, Patrick Ewing. Um, the reason I ask about the, the basketball is I, I'm going to, this sounds pretty weird, but I was once asked to coach the Boston Celtics. Wow. Yeah, I know. Not in basketball, I might add. Um, okay. It's just that I, I was working with a client in Boston, and he and his uh, friend had just joined the ownership group of the Boston Celtics. He obviously appreciated my coaching, and he said, well, you know, can you come in and coach some of our young superstars who have lots of money but <laughs> very little wow. maturity? Uh, wow. Yeah, I know. I, I, it, I won't go any further than that, unfortunately. I never got to do it, um, and it was that's a whole other story. I was prevented from doing it actually, but uh, that's why wow. I'm curious about you in basketball. Um, yes, um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, another day, another time, another, another time. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, the Golden State Warriors are my team because uh, oh, I was a Bay Area resident for many years. 
Um, and I sure. know you travel a lot. I know yeah. you travel, you're always somewhere in London or New York or Paris or what. That's right. That's right. Love to travel. Um, love when my family travels with me. Uh, but I am a road warrior. Do about 200,000 miles a year. You're a frequent flyer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, really uh, a pleasure to have you on this show. Um, and um, I've got a few questions here. So we'll start off with uh, the first one, which is really, you know, what led you onto the path you've taken? Have you always been interested in education? I grew up in a family of educators. Um, and I think all of us, when we are uh, in our youth, we look at, at our parents and the structure around us and say, well, I'm never doing that. Um, <laughs> had no real intention of, of going into education, but had a great time in my undergrad, had a lot of exposure, worked with our president's office and doing legislative advocacy, um, had a chance to, to work on our board of visitors um, as a student representative, and so saw the university from the inside out, and it just really piqued my interest in a lot of different ways. I saw it for the business side, uh, not so much on the education, uh, after graduation, I had an opportunity to, to go out to the Middle East. Uh, they told me it was Dubai, but it was north of Dubai in Ras Um Goats on the road, the roads would wash out after the rains, but it was just a great opportunity for a young uh, graduate carrying the university flag to, to be out there and learning and, and really backed into the business education component of it. Um, really great with engaging with people uh, and just truly love uh, creating impact for others. And so education uh, is something I grew up with and so it came naturally to me. And uh, when you have the ability to do it across the globe and to meet people like Michael and yourself and others uh, through some of the things that we've done, it, it really is a great, great job to have. Uh, no yeah. real complaints. Yeah, fantastic. It's a bit of a passport, isn't it? It well, is. It is. I mean, of a certain type. Um, well, can you describe the nature of the culture shifts that would ideally counter uh, this great resignation? Um, what, what sort of culture shifts do you think are required right now? So I think, I think that the great resignation uh, is, a, is a great misdirect uh, in a lot of ways. It's, it's people owning the spaces in which they live and work. Right, we spent a lot of time um, doing self-awareness, and uh, we've been bringing people along this pathway. Right? The gig culture, I think, is the precursor to where we are today. Gave people the opportunity to truly find themselves, and so I could be an accountant, very strict, um, you know, nine to five experience, but on the side, I'm a freelance songwriter or I'm a freelance artist. Um, you know, we saw a lot of people taking in things like Airbnb and Uber and, and all of these things that allowed you to diversify who you are and what you do, what you stand for, what you represent. The merging of all of that in our post-pandemic world is that I want to bring my entire self to the organization and I'm holding companies accountable for really finding a space for me to be included and belonging. And so when you look at, you know, DE&I, and the evolution of DEI, and now it's DEIB -E in the sense that people want to belong. They want to align their values um, with your corporate values. They want to uh, 
to be around people who it's not so much like-minded, but are, are like driven, uh, doing similar work and activities. And, and if you don't have that, you're seeing the reaction to it. And so from a company's perspective, how are you addressing culture now in a way that we've been chipping it away at it for some time? Uh, the tech industry was very um, you know, infamous for do everything here at the office, right? A, a great disguise for increasing and maximizing productivity. I don't have to think about leaving the office to pick up my kid and dry cleaning and making dinner. I can spend two or three or more hours in the office working. Um, all of that now is, is at a tipping point where I want to be my total self. I want to be me. Uh, and that now starts to push back against um, what your company does, what it says it's doing, what it actually does. So if we stay in the Google tech space, um, the number of, of females and engineers at Google pale in comparison to their male counterparts. And you have protests and walkouts. Uh, so it isn't just about taking care of me and making sure I don't have to worry about certain things, but you also need to be thinking about the diversity and the experience and the belonging that's taking place in that workspace. And uh, that I think is the, the biggest shift that companies are facing where we try to spend a lot of time helping them uh, move that, uh, move their culture because we're, uh, we're attempting to go back to what it used to be. And unfortunately, or fortunately, which I prefer, uh, it's just not going to go there. Uh, we're, we're in our total selves. We've, We've done leadership training. We've asked people to be their authentic selves. And I'm here. Uh, you can't see me, but, you know, my hair is out in a, a nice Afro and, and I like it. Uh, it's different. I like it. And I want that to be celebrated. And uh, I no longer carry the fear that I did when I'm in the workplace beforehand about wanting to make sure that I espouse a certain uh, dress, you know, physical demeanor, outward projection. I'm just, I'm going to be me uh, and take it or leave it. Uh, and with the younger generation in the mix, it's it's going to be fun. I love that. I love that. You just reminded me of something. Uh, I remember when um, I kind of left, I retired temporarily from the corporate world. And, um, and I look back now and some see some of the photographs that, of me with my my corporate hairstyle and my tie and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it looks so preppy and, uh, <laughs> and, and boring. And I'll never forget the first time when I was hanging around in Manhattan and uh, um, someone offered to cut my hair. And she said, I'll tell you what, why didn't you, why didn't you have it a bit sort of spiky? There I was like in my 40s, you know, and she, yeah. I said, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't do it. Oh, maybe I can. So I did it and she spiked my hair. And then for the next few years, I got a reputation. My nickname was Spiky Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, because I, I used to play cricket and I was the uh, the club social captain and and I used to have this spiky hair and um it wasn't exactly like it, it takes a lot to walk that ledge. Um, yeah. For years, I thought about it and I just was always afraid to until the pandemic where I just, I, I physically couldn't go out and do it. And I just thought, let me run with this and see what happens. And so it's, it's, it's uh, it is that shift. Uh, and you're seeing it 
Uh, you're seeing this play out here in real time. I believe Citibank uh, recently opened an office in the south of Spain uh, looking for, for young executives, part of their retention strategy to just give them a cool, hip, exciting space. It isn't your typical banking attire structure set up, much more relaxed. They took a pay cut and they had thousands of applications for 50 spots. Uh, and wow. so you're you're seeing this ripple across industries worldwide. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. People want options. They want flexibility. Uh, and so this idea of I'm going to come to work five days out of the week, work 60 plus hours, just not happening anymore. You know, it's uh, it's interesting when you, I think a lot of people, when they talk about the great resignation, they default to it being a negative thing. It's very interesting listening to what you were saying a bit earlier, Nick, that um, it actually, as you said, it's a positive thing because it it's it, it does allow the young, especially younger people, the freedom that they want to express themselves, to be their whole selves um, by not being tied to that old school conventional way of doing business. So actually, if you look at it, the great resignation is something positive. It's, as you said, it's more about how can companies accommodate for that desire? And if they can do it successfully, then the people will love working there. You know, we talk Absolutely. about a rich employee experience. Um, Absolutely. And that, yeah. that tapestry, uh, it, it's got a business bottom line net effect as well, right? The, the demographics that we are, are reaching in whatever business that we're in is truly diversifying. Yeah. Uh, and so let's stick with banking. You know, here in the US, um, you know, that black and brown faces are the fastest growing demographic in the US. Um, many are still unbanked. Many are still um, really not in a space where they can trust or, or can um, leverage their full buying power and authority uh, to go after banks. And so when you are working on this culture for this internal uh, driven aspect, what you're doing in return is you're actually reflecting the population of which you're attempting to serve, but you will be serving in real time. And um, it's getting businesses to look at that whole spectrum, right? It, it may feel like this really tough shift that's happening, but understand that that's, it's a broader shift at large. And so when you are talking about, you know, transgender restrooms at, at your office space, that has a, a direct reflection on who's walking in your door as well uh, and giving them a space where they can feel comfortable and welcomed uh, and want to do business with you. That it's a, uh, those will go in parallel uh, as you think about it. Yeah. And I like the way you talk about it being a, you know, it's a, it's a global, broader context here that it's a societal shift that's occurring, a uh, desire for freedom and, and self-expression. Um, and it's long overdue, I mean, I think. And, you know, I mean, both you and I, obviously, we've, uh, we've come to that realization ourselves and done the work we've had to do to be as much as possible authentic and true to ourselves in, 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 in what we do. Um, I'm very curious to know, Nick, what your view on the role of leadership is in, in this kind of shift. 
what do leaders need to, what kind of mindset do they need to have um, in order to create this really fantastic employee experience? Sure, so, sure. Um, how free can I be on, on this podcast? As free as you want. <laughs> okay. You know, you, you truly have to give a damn. Uh, and I think the same goes um, of what we're asking employees to do as leaders. We have to reflect that as well. Uh, very much like the corporate structures and the, you know how you espouse those corporate values, right? Being in dress or demeanor, uh, mindset, those are all evolving. Um, we've all had leaders that we've come across, you know, whatever the ratio, four bad ones to one good one, you know, whatever it is. When you find that good one, you do everything you can to emulate what they're doing. I think the demand for, for the good ones and the need for the good ones is greater more now than ever. Um, it is a 24-7 leadership role. We're working across borders and structures. I'm communicating with my team uh, in real time, you know, via Slack or other chat platforms. And the expectation is that I'm, I'm there. I'm there for them uh, in a metaphysical space. I'm there for them when we meet uh, and things are blurring. Uh, the, the great resignation is as much a function of, I need my organization to understand that I am caring for an aging adult at home who might be vulnerable and I can't quite come into the office as frequently as I need to. Or, you know, here in the US from a, um, if you've got young children, all the things that we've been grappling, you know, limited time off from work, um, all of those things, child care itself has been decimated. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no place to send your kids. And so what do you do from zero to five uh, as a young parent today? In a lot of these markets where wait lists are two, three, four years long, or the costs are incredibly high. I need my employer to understand that and support me through that in ways that they didn't before. Before it was come in, punch your clock and off you go. Um, now, I'm, because I'm bringing my whole self to this, um, because we spent two and a half years in, in everyone's living rooms and dining rooms and bedrooms or home offices, wherever it may have been, uh, we're here now. Uh, and so as a leader, you have to be able to, to reflect when someone's dog is ill as much as you know uh, a family issue that forces somebody to, to go to New York uh, on short notice, right? There's, there's all those things that are taking place in, in addition to the job. And the variables at the job are at a fever pitch. If you're client facing, uh, customers are demanding more, more pressure on the, the, the individual members of your team to, to deliver and deliver at a high level, at a high pace. Um, we've got technology now. You're over in the UK, I'm here in the US, and we're connecting seamlessly in real time. There was a moment where we had to get together somewhere on a plane to do this uh, in a physical space. No need for that anymore. Uh, and so it, it really is now critical more though than ever that you have leaders who can emote, leaders who are genuine, and leaders who, who actively find ways to motivate uh, employees where they are. And so broad uh, motivation strategies don't quite work. And it's often the individual level. And so if you've got five to 5,000 direct reports, you have to be thinking about five to 5,000 different ways to motivate the people that are working um, with you in that reporting. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, 
I, something I saw yesterday was quite shocking. Um, it wasn't a business context. It was actually the, uh, the British Consul General for Pakistan. And it was a, an England-Pakistani cricket game. It was being televised live. And they brought this uh, relatively young English-British Consul General onto the screen to be interviewed by a Pakistani reporter. And uh, she was saying, you know, it's, it's fantastic that you've managed to, the first time in 17 years, you've managed to arrange for England to play Pakistan in Pakistan. Mm. And he started talking in fluent Pakistani. Mm. If it was second nature, it, there was something about it that was so incredible. Talk about um, inclusion, rapport, um, Absolutely. empathy. It, it was, sounds weird, but it was heartwarming that he was doing this. He had a smile on his face and she was, the reporter was going, oh, great. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> she loved it. And they started talking yeah. in Pakistani. And um, I suppose that's for me uh, an example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, meeting leaders, having to meet people where they are, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, th there's um, the opposite of that was at the beginning of the COVID um, lockdown. <clears throat> I worked for a global computer firm, actually uh, Chinese. And I was doing a little bit of uh, telephone follow-up coaching after I'd done a session in, in Eastern Europe. And some of those people, they had huge spans of control, but they were living with their wife and their mother, their wife's mother and their baby in a house um, locked down. And they were desperate for support and help, desperate. And uh, there was me, an external consultant, offering, you know, half an hour of solace and empathy. And and I, when I said, well, you know, what support are you getting? None. Yep. None. I need help, but I'm not able to get any. Because this company, who shall be nameless, the leadership were completely oblivious to the needs of the people in that terrible circumstance. And they also weren't willing to put money into it either. So yep. what do you think of the company? I mean, I wouldn't want to work in a company like that, would you? And that, you know, that to, as we, to circle back, that is the impetus for the great resignation. I no longer need to go to a place that doesn't support my total self. Yeah. Uh, and that, that I think has been the big difference. People have, have started and left jobs for hundreds of years. People have um, have pushed jobs to to be more inclusive, right? We've we've gone through women's rights movements and civil rights movements and trans rights movements. We've 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 pushed companies to be better, but now more so than ever, because of the opportunities that are available, I've got options. It is a you know it is an employee's market. Um, there's two or three offers for what it is that I might be able to offer and do. And I'd say the piece that lives behind this is um, we spent a lot of time driving salaries up. People are no longer motivated solely by that, that factor. And yeah. so I can take a pay cut. I can take a lateral move. I might take a temporary move or just a mental move 
um, where I know this company is investing in me as a person. And with that, now I can go anywhere. And then you've got remote now settling in as a as an option, not new. Again, we've had telecommuting. We've had you know telepresence with Cisco not so long ago. We've had you know people who who were truly remote, but now you can be remote and still be part of what's going on. And you know we've got plenty of people who uh, want to be remote. Nick. Not so much, but you do have a, a, a large group of individuals who are like, hey, I'm comfortable doing what I need to do. I just have more time than myself. And you can't say no to that anymore. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the real shift. That's, that's very interesting, that, because, you know, it's easy to think that everyone wants to be together in person. Um, you have to take into account, I think, those who are more introverted and the nature and those who are doing work which by its nature requires a lot of uh, individual time alone, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's research or reflection or creative or something. And that has to be, we don't need to, I think we shouldn't assume that everyone wants to be together in person. Correct. Although a lot of people do. So again, more flexibility, total flexibility. Right. I, it might be a lot harder to do, because it's not cookie cutter, it's not easy. It's not, it's not Apple saying three days a week in the office mandates. Correct. Correct. Wow, what was that about? I right. mean, I, I saw that. I thought, Nick, yeah. really, who's going to want to work yeah. at Apple? Right. Right. And you're seeing people step away. Right. An Apple job is coming in. I think if Apple called either one of us today, we'd be on the next flight over to to Palo Alto or Cupertino. Yeah. Um, but people are saying, no, we, we need more flexibility. You had the banks, the big banks come out, you know, right as we were re-emerging from the pandemic, everyone's back to work, back to normal. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in part because we still haven't recovered. Pandemic hasn't left us as yet. Uh, we're still working through whatever it is and however it does play out. And if there is a seasonality to this, we, we're going to need more reps to really make sure that we can, we, you know, we can manage through it. Yeah. Uh, we saw a rapid change in how we vaccinate against things and you know, vaccination policies on, on, uh, you know, on company property. All of these things are unprecedented at the speed in which it, it happened. And I just don't know of a point in time where we've taken a complete pause or break in the way that we did outside of, you know, the, the global wars that took place um, in history. And so it really is an unprecedented time. And now we're, you know, people are coming back into this space wanting a voice. And that, that's the key difference. And as a company organization, how are you listening to that voice? And then what are you doing to support that? Uh, and so to your point about this company uh, prior, it's one thing to understand that there's a challenge and there's another thing to allocate resources to support that challenge. And some do one without the other, some do none at all. Uh, but those companies that are recognizing that it's something that's a critical function to just a hiring strategy and also retention strategy are winning right now. Uh, you're getting folks who are enthusiastic, who are excited, and that's the company's greatest asset, right? We all know it. Uh, engaged workforce, 
productivity's through the roof. You're going to get things done. I can make asks of you. You know, hey, Michael, we've got this deadline coming up. Can we just get it done? Sure, no problem. We can allocate and adjust the way we used to. But you, the, the bar to meet me where I am is much higher than it was before. Much higher. It's more fun the way you're describing it. I mean, I think this is what, <laughs> you know, the groups yeah. of people in a company that have that kind of great experience for the employees, you know, people are willing to do stuff and have fun doing it because it's a challenge. It's exciting. You're doing it together. Uh, you know, even if, even if some of you are remote, um, I'm just curious also to, I've seen a few statistics. Oh, actually, before we go any further, I just want to remind the audience who I'm speaking to. Um, I'm speaking to Nicholas Hamilton Archer, who is the executive director of executive education within the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Right? That's correct. Pittsburgh, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yep. And um, I know it well because my ex uh, used to teach uh, in uh, Carnegie Mellon. Special effects for movies, nothing to do with businesses. Right. Uh, a shameless plug for our, our great uh, and humble university. But we have um, just great on all accounts. A lot of big names that you um, recognize have done drama uh, at Carnegie Mellon University. Tom Hanks, Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, recognizable faces. It's, it's pretty awesome when you're on campus. It's little tiny Pittsburgh school that's done uh, so many things. And so it's a great place to work. Uh, yeah. the and when you talk about team, having impact. But yeah. the baseball team is not quite uh, matched up. To no, 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 no. The Pirates still still have a ways to go, but they try. every. They, they produce Barry Bonds, which San Francisco Giants were very grateful for. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yes. Um, so, yeah, I know what you, uh, you had the great benefit of uh, when you were out in the Bay. So anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting us off track. Here. No, problem. no problem. Um, So yeah, the, the next question I've got is, is to do with the statistics I've seen around the younger generation really are attracted to an organization that has a purpose that they can, that they find really meaningful, which mm -hmm. leads, which is a part of what this conversation we've been having. Because I think that, I mean, do young people uh, want to work for an organization that is simply driven by profit, or do they want to work for a company that has the greater good in mind and at the forefront of what they're about? You know, I mean, what's your experience of that? Um, I don't know that we're quite at the, the greater good. I think a lot of people will say it because we, we live in the world of sound bites these days, yeah. but I do think that the alignment of my personal value set to my company's value set. And when you think about company, it's a three-part component. It's the, the, the organization in itself, right? And whatever the, the mission and values are and, and what you do within your given industry, it's your direct line manager, right? Because we're, you know, the tension is often, you know, the person that I report up to, you know, your complaints on a daily basis are, because there's a mismatch in values. There's a mismatch in, um, in how you view the work that's being done. And then what I think is an interesting piece that has emerged more recently is that of your executive leadership. So your C-suite, your CEO, your, your whomever. Right? We live in a world today where 
a CEO will make a very strong political statement, you know, for or against whatever it may be in ways that didn't quite happen before. And so you have corporate leadership espousing personal value sets in a lot of ways, right? And, you know, publicly traded companies saying um, very bold statements out there. I don't know that we've been in a space where that has been as, you know, as prevalent as it is today. And so you've got these three things that people are evaluating in real time. And, you know, the, the, the younger generation component, and, and yes, we're in a world where we still have three generations working in the, in the active workforce, um, but it's nothing new. You know, I think if, you know, if you reflect back to when you were working, you know, the, the older folks, oh, you know, folks got to get out of here. They don't, they don't quite understand it. Um, but as that, you know, the, the Gen Zs come in and, and really take hold, the technology driven aspect of this, their uh, ability to move across borders with the, the freedom that they've been able to do for so long um, at the speed in which they do it. We're in, we're in gigabyte speed worlds here to my personal home. That is gonna continue to drive this, this pressure because they can see it. You know, How many times do you come across your C-suite? Never when you were working. Um, as, as high as I might be in the organization now, you know, I know where to find them, but I don't, I don't necessarily interact with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you can do that now. I can follow what my C-suite is up to. I can, um, you know, I can evaluate what, what's going on in the marketplace. And, you know, if I'm, on, if I'm in a business where I'm just not happy, I don't have to stay. Uh, and, and those tough choices, you know, you, you think back and I think of my mom who said, look, I, I stayed in this job because I had to feed you and your brother, right? Tough choices, right? And so I'm going to slug this out for 30 years. I might move every two years, right? Don't like it, but that mobility is just something that we've gained and we've gained more freedom and flexibility to do. And so as the younger generation is coming in, you know, they're asking these, they're challenging, they're, you know, they're looking for that alignment. And if it's not there, no more are people just going to stick around and say, well, I need the paycheck. Um, I can augment it for a couple of days, you know, a couple of months, find something else. I can upwork it. I can do any number of things to, to sustain what I might do on a day-to-day -day basis and then find a place that truly matches what I want to do and where I want to go. And, and even the dirty businesses, you're seeing, we do a lot of work with manufacturing companies across the globe, and they're all talking about being green and, you know, helping the environment. Everyone wants to get there. And if, it's not there. We see people check out. Uh, we are working with a company uh, in India, and you have individuals who get a job offer, and then, you know, the company is waiting for them to show up at work, but they've received two or three in the time between offer to start. And we, this might be a two-week window, and they have to go on and take it something else. Okay. So there's, you, you as an organization, you really have to be keen on um, owning whatever space you're in, right? You're not going to attract everybody. Uh, you want to try to make it as broad and inclusive as you can. Uh, and then you've got to be very intentional about keeping people engaged throughout that process. Uh, that's the, the only formula that's going to get you to, to keep doing what you're doing. But the, the talent needs are so high and there are so many options. Uh, 
if you're an, uh, an employee, you, it, it's your driver's seat right now. Yeah. It's interesting as, as you're talking, Nick, um, uh, considering how you talked about the C-suite being um, more accessible now through technology and, mm -hmm. and also through communication in general, I mean, and social media. So I think number one, um, a business leader these days has to be conscious of the messages they're sending, because if they send a message that is that goes counter to um, what people would consider to be a decent way to uh -huh. do business, then the fact that it's amplified in social media, it could be a devastating step in terms of attracting talent. And once you, in the old days, I remember it used to be like, if you, um, if you're a senior leader in a big company and you're on the 50th floor and you choose someone out in public in a corridor, that reverberates throughout the whole building and throughout the whole uh -huh. world. And that, that leader gets a reputation for being scary mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and maybe a bully. Mm -hmm. uh, now that gets, that gets amplified to the point where it, it actually goes out so far that people are going to go, well, I don't want to work for a company where, where the CEO is, is that sort Correct. of Correct. Um, I'm just, what, in your experience, what, sorry, you're going to say something. No, no, go for it. Go for it. In your experience, Nick, what is, uh, who would you say, is there anyone that comes to mind who you'd say is an example of uh, a leader that is genuinely authentic and inspiring around values and living the values and leading a company that will uh, be attractive to young people? Hmm. It's a tough one, isn't it? It's like, what's it is a tough one. And I don't know that I will, I will name names, but I think there, there is a, uh, there, there is an archetype or a playbook um, even uh, that I, I've seen. Uh, it, it truly starts with, if we rewind the tape here, you have to care about employees at a level that's beyond, I just want you to, to execute this job function. I, I really want you to succeed. Right, we've we've talked to leaders, and, and this is some of this is is new school, and, and some of it is old school. And on the old school side, it's that individual um, who would infuse this idea of mentorship and sponsorship. Right, my best number two and number three should get opportunities that could replace me. I'm not concerned about um, losing my job. It's putting people in spaces that challenge them intentionally. I'm a very young executive director. Uh, I show up on the leadership page. Uh, I'm a very young person, 38 years old. Um, to do what I do, there aren't very many examples of individuals my age around me in the industry. And so, I was wondering how old you were. Yeah, very, very young. Um, but it, it took young. former leaders who said, this person needs an opportunity. Uh, and so that that has remained. I think that that's a, a, a function of the leaders that we need now. Uh, and it's leaders that truly, truly see themselves as servant leaders. And so it's, it's a new servant leadership space where you are on all the time. Um, you do have to take on uh, what's harder at the leadership level that we're in now. Um, it's life in a fishbowl. 
And so when I go to the airport and I'm wearing my university regalia, people may not know who I am, but I'm distinctive enough that if someone were to see me in another setting, that I've got to be mindful of those two experiences can be linked very quickly, either through a social media account, through you know, seeing me at a soccer game with my kids, seeing me at a grocery store. And so I now have to carry that, this idea of just on and off switch. Uh, before pre-pandemic, when I hopped in my car, I was done. Right? I didn't really have to worry about what was at the office until I got back to the office the next day. It's with me this whole time. And so you're, you're carrying more. And so it's leaders who are comfortable carrying that additional burden of um, you are leading even in moments where you don't think you're leading. Um, and, and that is, is very, very different than what we had before. So to your point about, you know, that C-suite person chewing somebody out, you've got a direct example of that right now. The Phoenix Suns will go back to basketball, our favorite. Um, you know, here's, here's the CEO of this organization um, who's done some really bad things. You see it in football, you know, I'm not going to name names, but they're, owner as well, um, you can't escape these things. Before you could have that exchange, people would take it for what it is, but now everyone has an opinion. Everyone outside your company also has an opinion and shareholders move that stock price back and forth. And so now, now what do you do? And so I, I don't know that I can pinpoint one person exactly. I think if you are willing to espouse those as part of your day-to-day, um, I think you're in a, in a good place to succeed and bring people along uh, to be a part of that organization, that team uh, at large. Great. Thank you. That's very interesting. Reminds me of uh, what I used to say to people when they said, what do you do for a living? And I would say, well, I coach executives. Um, I help them to become better human beings. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and, I, and then I would say, but of course, I don't tell the head of HR or the CEO that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> they just want the performance. They want the results. That's right. They don't care about better human being. They don't even understand what the connection is. But And it sounds a bit pompous. I mean, not that I could actually make someone a better human being. But you know what I mean? The facilitation you're talking about, the servant leadership, you know, to, to really care about someone's development. Um and I truly believe that if you are a better human being, you makes you a better leader. And it gives you the qualities that you're talking about um, of servant leadership, of giving people the opportunities, you know, the empathy. Right. I mean, it's very fundamental. It's not rocket science, but it's, it's, it's coming from the heart. You know, it's, um, if you really care about people, yeah. Because it's easy it's easy to overlook that the higher you are in the organization, the reality is the more detached you are from the everyday activity, right? You're working on higher level strategy. Um, you're getting reports up to you with the management of all of that, the, you know, the, the intricacies. If, if you're actively figuring out ways to make other people better humans as well, um, then you can engage, right? The, the conversations, the tense conversations, are tough decisions to be made, aren't tense. Um, I'm, I don't know. Well, Maybe they aren't because let me get away with this. Um, but we, you know, we had a recent issue here at, at the university. When someone made a comment about uh, the Queen's passing faculty yeah. member, yeah. and that 
generated a lot of really tense discussions yeah. because there is a history, there's a legacy, there's a lot of nuance. And I think if, if you aren't operating from a space where you're treating others as humans, you're treating others as if you treat yourself, you're, the, the discussions that can come about that can be very off-putting. When we're talking about diversity and access, it requires a lot of introspection and reflection all of those things require you to, to truly look at the person who's speaking with you as a colleague, as another person who's feeling and thinking and driving as well. And um, we spent, unfortunately, we spent way too long building up divisive spaces for ourselves um, and giving echo chambers to the things that we want to hear. Uh, and we, we, we've got to come back into the middle. Uh, don't know how close we were to to really walking that pathway. But I, I, it feels as if we've moved further away from that now more so than we have in the past. Yeah, yeah. Mm, food for thought. <laughs> Lots of food for thought today, Nick. I really appreciate <laughs> our uh, discussion. It's been great. Um, we are actually pretty much out of time here. So sure. To sure. Close. Um, and also, thank you very much for... Um, just so the, the audience can't see you, but you're in a in a in a temporary workspace somewhere near LaGuardia Airport. That's right. That's you, right. Uh, you uh, you you did me and asked the favor of of um, taking the trouble to be there when you had other things to deal with. So in transit, you're here. And thank no, you. no, great. It's a great pleasure. Um, it's always fun connecting with you, Michael. Um, one of the highlights of getting over to, to Europe uh, and the UK. So I do appreciate all that you do and the team at People Smart. Uh, and looking forward to our next conversation, wherever that may be. Who knows where it's going to be? It could be. <laughs> we don't know. Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be online? We don't know. But it's, we don't know, but we will get together again. That we know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so finally, I want people to know. If they want to get in touch with you for any reason, um, are you okay with giving out your uh, contact info? Or, or sure, sure. Um, do I need to spell it out here? Or yeah, probably best to attach to it because our audience is global, so we got people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it's uh, email address is n hamilt two n h a m i l t number two at cmu.edu, carnegiemelluniversity.edu. Feel free to reach out. Uh, looking forward to having more conversations. Uh, this, this really is where we get better. Uh, and the more that we can understand the nuance in, in everything that we do day to day, the better off we'll be. So thank you for the opportunity again, Michael. Thank you, thank you Nick, and uh, be well. I uh, hope you get your things sorted out uh, that you're dealing with you. uh, in, uh, in the city. And- um, Yes. Until the next time. Until the next time. Thank you. Take care. Be safe. Ciao.